I'm not usually a nervous flyer, but I gotta tell you about a very bumpy landing that my wife had when we were on a plane with a bunch of our other coworkers from a church. We were already on our way to go to this church conference. There was about 30 of us on the plane with other people, but our whole church staff was on the plane. And uh, landing in Phoenix, really windy summer day, and uh, we're getting to the, the bumpy part and you can feel the, the, the landing gear come down. And I look out the window and I had this thought, like, I'm no pilot, but it really feels like we're going down towards the ground too fast. And about 10 seconds later, you heard, wham, the whole plane jolted. The, the overhead compartments flew open, baggage was all over the aisleways, and we hit the ground again. Bam! We were bouncing down the runway. And then in that moment, it was just so much moving around, but it was completely silent. Everyone who had been talking or, or rustling through their bags, hoping they can get off the plane quickly, it just went silent for what seemed like an hour. But really, it was just a few seconds later, and there was another bang, and we all shifted to, our, to one side, and the plane started fishtailing across the runway, and the cabin started filling with smoke, and it was so quiet until the lady sitting across the aisle from me just screamed out, We're all gonna die! And by then, we had come to a stop, and the, the pilot was in the, the staff of the airplane and the airline. They were all amazing. The, uh, the wind pushed us down. The plane had a flat tire. Everyone was safe. My wife was on the news. I couldn't find the footage. It's been taken down. But it was, it was crazy. And um, I was thinking, in that moment, between us hitting the ground and the and the plane starting to to fishtail it was like everyone was thinking the same thing uh, no one had to come over the overhead speaker and say things are getting a little bit crazy we might have a serious incident here if you have if you believe in a higher power please start praying no one had to do that it was like the environment there you could just sense that there was no unconfessed sin on the plane. No one was, was worried about some unfinished home project or, or bills. No one was, was harboring any bitterness towards somebody. Like everyone was making sure they were right with God because they weren't certain that they were going to live much longer than that plane hitting the ground. And I kept thinking uh, ever since, every time I reflect on this, I keep thinking that uncertainty must be one of God's favorite environments because human hearts are so open to that moment. And even, even when it seems like um, that things look dark, what's actually going on is, is that's an environment where God gets a lot accomplished. Uncertainty in us, it creates fear and insecurity. We've known that for, for a long time. But God sees uncertainty so much differently than we do because God's not uncertain. 
God knows living outside of space and time, God knows what's going to happen. And God is at work in times of uncertainty. And when things are uncertain, that's when God gets individuals undivided attention. That's when God can get a nation's undivided attention, nationally, internationally, in neighborhoods, and also in our individual lives. When things are uncertain, God is at work. That's when people repent of their sins. That's when values are shuffled around, reprioritize. Uh, that's when we assess like what is important to us. And what's most important shoots to the top of the list in times of uncertainty. In times of uncertainty, we are aware of our dependence in God like no other time. You know, just in the comments below, like how many of you, just type in me or, or over here, if you found your faith or you came back to the faith during a difficult period, like if we were all together, I think everyone's hand, a lot of our hands would be up saying, yeah, I didn't find God when everything was smooth. It wasn't that I came back to God when things were just on autopilot and cruise control mode. No. Even though it was painful, even though it was scary, even though there was anxiety, God often gets our attention in those moments where we don't know how things are going to turn out. And you guys, most of what we're given in the scripture was written in all, from beginning to end, most of what's written here was inspired by uncertain times, by people who faced extraordinary challenges. Like, if you're just checking this out uh, and maybe someone invited you here, like, read through some of these, uh, these accounts of what God did in the lives of, of individuals and in the lives of nations, and you'll see that the Bible's not this, this uh, collection of books filled with feel-good messages, like completely disconnected from a world we don't live in. As we go through the Bible, we find God speaking directly into uncertain times, and we see God's hand in the midst of uncertainty. Uh, maybe You may be passingly familiar with a Bible story or a Bible character. Think about that. David facing a giant. Moses leading people out of, of slavery. What, or maybe you have a favorite story. Uh, like, what's going on? I guarantee you, most of this is not about a bunch of rich people with no problems, having fun, and their life just constantly gets better and they never encounter a bump in the road. The Bible is filled with people seeing God show up in the midst of uncertainty, finding out that God is not absent. The Bible is filled with people discovering that God is often diligently at work, accomplishing his mission in the lives of people and in the lives of, of everyone on the planet. And when we read this, we're reminded of how very much God is in control and how very much we are not in control. Sometimes when we get to these, these proverbs of, of wisdom and, and what to do in these, in these times when it's difficult in our lives, that, that come into all of our lives, like sometimes it can feel way too passive 
because it leaves us feeling, the advice in here, it leaves us feeling too vulnerable and too dependent. I mean, one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, betrayed Jesus because Judas thought Jesus was moving much too slowly. But God has a different way of, of viewing things. And, and following Jesus, the way of Jesus, can seem frustrating at times. And the answers in here can feel frustrating when we're going through a difficult time. Uh, but it, God is giving us a way contrary to the way the natural world works. Uh, but And if, if this is the way the world works, if that's how we're really supposed to live, the options that are contrary to the Bible are, are worse than, than the advice given to us in God's word. Just fills us with more worry, fills us with more panic. Like those things, I've never ever known those things to be productive. So today, what do we do? I would like to just take you through uh, some advice given to us by an expert in facing uncertain times. So. If, if you're not a Christian, what we're going through today may sound crazy, it may sound unrealistic at best, but I'm glad you're here to hear it. Because if in the middle of your uncertainty, you're beginning to feel this pull towards a self-destructive behavior, a, a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, or feeling a pull maybe towards just numbing out, saying the world's too crazy, my life is too crazy now, I, I'm, I'm giving up. Well, I'm glad you're here because this advice that is given to us by one of the first, um, one of the first leaders in the Christian church named the Apostle Paul, I believe this can be helpful for you too, even if you're here just checking this out. So context for this is important. If you navigate to the book of Philippians chapter four, verse four, I wanna, I wanna tell you and just kind of summarize what's going on in the context this letter was written in um, because it's so important for understanding this advice. So it's written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in Europe, in, in Philippi, and Paul's writing in Rome. And uh, this Apostle Paul, he had been on a journey starting churches and the fact that, that churches were starting away from Jerusalem, how the early church spread, it just blows my mind uh, that Paul, from a Jewish background, could go into a Greek-speaking, Greek-cultural context and start a church. Hi, I'm Paul. You don't know me. I come from a different religion than you. And by the way, God isn't just a something out there. God is a someone. That someone has a name. Uh, God sent, it's, it's God, and he sent his son, Jesus, and died for you. Like, God must have gifted this leader so amazingly. And, uh, and word was spreading about Paul, and word had actually got back all the way from all these churches that he was starting around the Mediterranean Rim and got back all the way to Jerusalem. And the leaders of the Jewish faith were ticked because Paul was now saying, that God love, God wants everyone to come into his family. God sent Jesus for everybody. That was bad for business, according to the, the, the Jewish leaders in the first century. So Paul was a wanted man, and people warned him, don't go back to Jerusalem. Keep doing what you're doing. But he, he went back to Jerusalem. And when he got there, the leaders of the Jewish church, they grabbed him. 
They, they brought him into this kangaroo court, made up all of these false charges against him. Things started to escalate. There was an angry mob. They started to beat Paul up and uh, people called for the police, which at the time was Roman centurions, and the Romans grabbed Paul and put him under arrest. And in that exchange, he happened to mention, I'm a Roman citizen. And that changed the game. There's a completely different set of rules for, for Jews and then Roman citizens, and Paul was both. So they decide to send him from Jerusalem all the way to Rome in a boat, but not a yacht like a first century boat. And imagine traveling. Was, the journey was supposed to take two weeks in a boat and Paul was chained in the belly of the boat and going through storms to the, to the point where they were shipwrecked and they were washed up on the island of Malta for months before they could actually get to Rome. And once he got there, he was placed in prison or house arrest, but in chains. And he was so far down the list he waited two years for his trial, two years for his case to be heard. And by the way, Nero was the emperor then, didn't have the, the, the reputation for being uh, very merciful or impartial. But it's in that context, in that context, that Paul writes this advice to the Christians in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, this word rejoice, we don't walk around saying that in English all the time. Oh, like, oh, how are you? Rejoicing, brother. When people say that, usually you think, oh, okay, maybe a little bit weird, too religious. But think about that word. It means to be in a state of happiness and well-being, be glad. And, uh, and Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord always? Like, I don't know. Have you seen have you seen the bill that came in lately, Paul? Have you seen have you seen the way my kids and my grandkids are acting right now, Paul? Have have you watched the news lately, Paul? But thankfully, he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop there. He said, "Rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always." And it's those three magnificent, massive words that change everything. Rejoice in the Lord. Because if we're putting our hope and our joy in, in worldly things, those things are temporary. They're not going to be there forever. But he's saying rejoice in the Lord who is permanent, who doesn't change, who is love and will be love forever and ever, and who was love before we even, even could perceive of God. And Paul's saying rejoice in the Lord always. And then just for emphasis, he says, I will say it again, rejoice. This is, I mean, the best way to understand the emotion that Paul's going for is we can substitute some of the terms. Uh, imagine you get a raise, you get a bonus, you, you get engaged. I love seeing engagement photos on Instagram. Let those emotions wash over you. You got a really good deal on a sale. Uh, maybe maybe you, you're about to graduate this year, and when you think about it, those emotions come, I'm finally done. Or maybe you got a scholarship. Like Think about those things and let those emotions sweep over you. And Paul's saying, when we reflect on the Lord and what Jesus says about us, what Jesus has done for us, when we respond to that, then, then the emotions wash over us like, wow, 
we matter to God. We're not alone. Like Paul's saying, think about those things and and meditate on those things until regardless of your circumstances, when you are rejoicing in the Lord, then you can have access to rejoicing no matter what you're going through. And think about this. This stands in such stark contrast to what Paul's going through. He's in prison. For me, this is what gives him credibility, that he's in prison reflecting on his life and on God's mission, and God inspires him to write that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. So I would say it this way, like reflect on God's goodness and mercy until your light, like reflect on those things in your life until your emotions catch up with your reality. Because they're often not the same thing. Our reality tells us one thing and we say, I can't rejoice, but if we reflect on God and point our hearts towards God and have God as our hope, then eventually those emotions will, will catch up and take us through the reality that we're going through. This is why we sing. You ever think about like Pastor Marie and the team or, or whatever church we've ever been to, those aren't just the warm-up act for the speech. Like this is a way that we remind ourselves of what God says and and what God's done for us. It's a way of rejoicing in the Lord. This is why we cheer at baptisms. We want the first sound of that somebody hears as they're coming out of the water to be rejoicing. This is why um, we're allowed to rejoice though, like no matter where we're at. You can you don't have to wait till a summer camp or winter camp teenagers. Uh, you don't have to wait till you're at church or or gathering with us online to rejoice. You can do this at home. You can do it in your car, at work. It's imperative for us to detach from our emotions and, and, our, and our surroundings and bend our hearts and our minds in the direction of God's grace and mercy in our life, moment by moment. It's a discipline. It doesn't come easy. But it, unless we have something, an anchor, like an anchor to hold on to, we're just going to be tossed all over the place by our circumstances and our emotions. And Paul continues, moving along to verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Think of that. He's in prison saying, rejoice everybody and also don't let your circumstances dictate how you treat other people. Another way to say it is, don't let uncertainty take its toll on your character. The way you treat and respond to others, like it doesn't have to depend on your circumstances. But isn't that what happens when we have a bad day? We come home and want to throw something around or, or kick the dog like my pastor used to say. Please don't kick dogs. I've never kicked a dog. I've wanted to kick the Roomba before. But... So, so many times our emotions drive our character. But Paul here is saying kindness, it's a fruit of the Spirit. But too often our kindness is either some sort of weird marketing tool or it's merely the overflow of what's going our way or not going our way. But Paul is saying, okay, when things are tough, now is when people will discover what's really inside. Now is the time when people are going to discover who you really are 
and what's inside of you. Let Jesus inside of you, let it shine and let it shine to everybody. How has the recent uncertainty of the past year and a half affected your response to those around you? I've had some good days. I can tell you I've had a lot of bad days. So I'm not pointing a finger at anybody, but uncertain times, they, they, they cause us to lose our temper. They cause us to lose our nerve. They can, quite frankly, make us really difficult to live with. But there's a way to live and to point your mind and heart and hope towards something that isn't shakable to where even when we're going through tough times, we can treat others with kindness. And I love this part, this next part of verse five. The Lord is near. It means the Lord is close by. God's not far off somewhere else. God's not taking a break somewhere. Like God is with us. God is incredibly close, tangibly close. And Jesus reminds us of that, especially when we're, when we're going through a hard time. Jesus reminds us that blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted over and over in Scripture. We're reminded that when we are hurting and broken or at the end of our rope, God will never leave us and never forsake us. He may, he may be nearer than you even imagine, right now. So if all there is to life is, is our bank account, our reputation, our accomplishments, then, then when bad circumstances, when they come, all there is to do is just to scream out, we're all gonna die. But what if there's more? If the Lord is near to us, if the Lord is in us, then there's no reason for us to mistreat others. If the Lord is near to us, then we have access to a peace that will allow us to treat others with kindness, even when, even when our outward circumstances uh, don't really make sense that we would do that. And we get to verse number six here. And Paul gives us some advice that you have to keep reading. Because if you just do what I'm about to do and read this, do not be anxious about anything. Well, if you're going through a hard time and you hear that, you throw up your hands and say, oh, thank you for telling me that. I didn't, I hadn't tried that before. That's brilliant. Just stop being anxious. Turn the switch off. Thanks a lot, Paul. <laughs> like, no, you have to keep reading. Paul's saying, yes, don't be anxious. Don't be troubled, distracted by the future. Don't, don't worry about what might happen. Don't brood over all these circumstances in your life. Don't make all the, the pain in your life the focus of your life. He continues, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, whether times are good or bad, don't be anxious, but in every situation, we're supposed to channel all that nervous energy, all those nervous thoughts, all the time we spend brooding over what might happen, Anything we might lay awake thinking about in bed at night, we channel all of those times and, and focus them at God. Every situation, he continues by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So he loads, he's not just saying, stop it. You just need to cut that junk out. Don't be anxious. What Paul is saying 
You're going to face uncertain times. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to be at the end of everything that, that you've held dear and have held on to for hope. But instead of saying, don't do that, he says, do this instead. Do this. This prayer, this petition, this is much bigger than us saying, help. So, uh, and, and in the language, some of the power of this gets a little bit lost uh, to present something. Like in English, that's not a super strong word. What the idea here is that, that Paul's using like this present your petitions. It's not really a prayer word, even in, in Paul's culture. What it means is it's revealing your request to God as associated with like, like revealing a mystery, something that was previously unknown. So it's not about informing God about your bad situation. God already knows, and God cares, and God probably cares more than you do. God loves you even more than you love you. What Paul is saying here is as we pray and have a conversation with God, speaking with God, listening for what God might be saying, this is about discovering for yourself what's behind the thing that you're scared of. This is about discovering for yourself the thing behind the thing. This is about what you really fear and what you're really after and what you really desire and revealing that to God. This is a process. We need to go through it because uncertainty, it surfaces all of our deepest insecurities and it surfaces all of our deep down hidden values. Paul is encouraging us to move past legitimate needs Lord, help me find a job. Lord, help us sell our house. Lord, help me close the deal. Those are all good things. But Paul's saying, if those things are constantly keeping you up at night, there's something else that needs to be revealed for you, so you can give that to God. These are legitimate requests. Please hear me clearly. <laughs> requests for security, requests for your family, my request for my family, our, our request to, to feel like we're people of worth and value. Um, those are legitimate needs that God has given us. Um, uncertainty, though, sometimes God uses that, doesn't cause it, but this is a chance for us to dig up something that we've been carrying around and we didn't even know it. Uncertainty brings up uh, fear. And if we explore it, if we get curious in the present presence of a God who created all of this and who's able to do something about it, if we explore it, God can reveal to us what our deepest desires are and what's really going on under the surface. And when we're able to, to do that, we can give those things to God, surrender them, uh, get rid of them. So... I would encourage everybody like that this is a chance for us to either get on our knees, get on our face and 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 really do some work with God saying like God here's here's what I'm I'm afraid won't happen. Like can you please do something about this? Parents, this is an opportunity to model for your children, if you can pray for your children about what they're scared about or what's appropriate for you to pray in front of them with, 
uh, and model this kind of prayer to them. Involve them in this process. Because um, this promise, like what Paul is suggesting, that when we pray and get to the root of it, of what's really going on, this is what Paul's suggesting. When we can surrender every part of our anxiety and fear to God. In verse seven, Paul says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Man, this peace that doesn't make sense at all. It will guard your heart. It will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. That there is a way to, to, to give all the stuff you've been carrying around to God and you're not carrying it anymore. And then God's peace guards your mind and your heart. And if it's so easy to forget the context Paul has been inspired to write these words in. He's a prisoner. Looking around probably sees prison guards. But when God guards you, he's not keeping you in. He's guarding you from things that will, will come at you, lies from the enemy, um, insecurities, fears. God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God can stand guard over your emotions, over anything controlling your mind. So, I'd just like to do a little reality check. Like, if you've ever experienced the peace of God in circumstances that have called for anything but peace, would you please just say, yeah, me too. <laughs> I can't explain it, but God got my family through this. Like, and you could just say me. You don't have to give us all the details. But so many of us, like, this is still available to us today, the same kind of peace Paul was talking about. And I've learned this from the people in my life, watching my grandparents go through difficult times, my parents go through difficult times. Like, there was no reason externally that, that they could have, should have had peace, whether finances were crazy, relationships were crazy. But there's people in my life that have shown me, like, that if you put your hope and trust in God and really pray through to, to get to the bottom of it and and get that off of your mind and heart. Like, it's, you, it, it is possible to find peace in that. So I'd like to give you a little template like to, to pray through this week. Because um, it, it can seem kind of uh, um, like, well, how do I do that, Mike? Like, how do I get to the thing behind the thing? Because I don't know what it is, what's really the root of all of this. Well, uh, so, Here's, a, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to do a little fill in the blank. Spend some time with God. And as you do, as you're, as you're reflecting, um, start with some version of this. Put it in your own words. God, please, and then fill in the blank. God, please, you know, whatever it is you want God to do. And that's usually where most of us stop. <laughs> that's usually, and that's not bad. That's not bad at all. But if we stop there, we're missing out on, on, on the freedom that God can bring us. So say, God, please, and then you fill in the blank. And then next, say, because if you don't, I'm afraid that, and then fill in the blank. And it may take some practice. Don't give up. You may not have any major light bulbs um, come to you. But as we start to say, like, okay, 
God, please do this because I'm afraid if you don't, that's where we might, after a couple days, maybe it's a week, go like, oh, that's what I'm really worried about. God, I'm, I'm protecting my image. God, I'm trying to control things. God, I'm afraid that if you won't, then, then I'll have to take care of myself. I'm afraid if you don't do this, then I'm just alone and worthless. And I feel like when we get to that level of honesty and vulnerability, God reveals to us who he is. God teaches us how important and valued we are. So uh, try that out this week, and I'd love to hear how that goes for you. Um, before I let you go, like sometimes God does intervene in our circumstances. We, we do find the job. We do get well. We are accepted into that school, or we do close the deal. She comes home. Like Sometimes we do get that ending. But all the time, there is an offer of peace if we come open-handedly, open-handed to God. And when we make the secrets of our own hearts made known to ourselves and to God, there's always peace, always peace available to us if we pray until the peace comes. Now, this isn't instead of working hard or, or doing your part. This is instead of allowing anxiety to get the best of you. This is about placing into God hands, God's hands what only God's hands are capable of handling. Praying until the peace comes. So, just one last time. This week, pray this whenever anxious thoughts or fearful thoughts pop into your head. Dear Heavenly Father, I need blank. And I'm afraid that if you don't, and then fill in the blank. And there, in your fear, that, that request, uh, you, you must make it known to you and to God. And then your Heavenly Father can take that weight from you. So when life is uncertain, know that God is not. He still has the whole world in his hands. And I would love to pray for every one of you facing uncertainty right now. So please just join me wherever you're at in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us that are brokenhearted, would you please right now remind us that, that we are not alone. For those of us that are scared or anxious, I pray that a new sense of boldness will, will and you'll, you'll give us boldness that we don't even understand and confidence that you are there and that you will never leave us and never forsake us. And give us the courage, Lord, to, to keep praying and petitioning and revealing to you what's going on in our hearts. And will you please be faithful to the promise that comes to us from this scripture that, that we can have access to a peace that surpasses all understanding. So thank you that we don't have to do this alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, please, as until we're together again, just know you can always reach us at sgbic.com. We love to know what's going on in your life and please don't hesitate to reach out. So until we're back together again, May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you and the Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. Okay.